welcome to episode number 51 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording on Sunday, January the 19th, 2020. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the host of the show based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and a computer geek. Uh, I got prepared this. I was looking, uh, working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. Started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and better look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Well, my name is Ian. I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor handyman. And tonight I'm actually not wearing my fuzzy hat, which is, I guess is a, a disappointment to some. So, Just saying. I'm, I'm disappointed. You know, I, I, come, I come here for two things. I come here to listen to Eric's dad jokes, and I come here for your fuzzy hats. <laughs> and tonight, I'm only at 50%. We need to get those numbers up. Yeah. Uh, I'm Alex. Call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder has focused me on safety above all else. I teach first aid and coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade and have worked in the physical security industry now for more than 20 years. And my name is uh, McKay. I'm from Canada's East Coast. Um, I'm a Canadian Forces Armed Canadian Armed Forces veteran, sorry, volunteer firefighter and station chief, and also a volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. Um, I've been preaching the prepper lifestyle for to varying degrees for the last six years or so. Um, this was really born out of necessity to ensure the short-term survival of my family, which includes uh, three young children. If you would like to help support the show, keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, please buy a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at www.rapidsurvival.com. All proceeds help to keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Canadian Pepper Podcast and submit a review on iTunes. We want your feedback, good or bad. Even if there's a topic you want us to cover, let us know. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right. And we've got some uh, escalating content for you in this episode. I was kidding. There's the other half. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> We're going to start off with some preparedness related news articles. Next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode. And we're going to get into the main topic of this episode, levels of emergency readiness. We'll move in some news. Uh, I got nothing for the news because, uh, frankly, I don't care tonight. Oh, no, no, there is some news. There is some news. <laughs> uh, Alan, did you finish a course tonight? I think you did. I did finish a course today. I uh, After, uh, what is this, eight months of training, studying, relentless hours, I have finished all my requirements for becoming NFPA 1001 and 1072 certified, which is um, really nerdy and geeky way of saying that I can put wet stuff on hot stuff and understand when there are hazardous materials about and don't lick them. That's that's about the extent of my qualifications at this point. But hey, uh, that sounds like your calendar ready. Yep, yeah, that's that's about it. I uh, that and being able to wax the truck in an efficient manner. <laughs> Well, congratulations, man. That's yeah. awesome. Congrats. That's good stuff. Thank you. So I'm, I am, uh, if I do slur a little bit, I am celebrating tonight and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Nothing wrong with that. Well deserved. <laughs> oh, I think you're I'm, cel- sure. I'm celebrating by turning off my pager. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Well, for myself, I've got a, uh, a few articles, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a bit of a storm compared to some, I guess it's not much, but for the, for the West Coast, it was a big deal. We had a few days there, multiple feet of snow. A uh, couple interesting things came out of it, though. Uh, one, the, the city buses that they touted as the savior of the environment, which were all electrically driven, couldn't even get over a bridge with the snow. A um, bunch of ferries got shut down because of the high winds. All the flights got shut down on, on the island for myself. 
So yeah, it was interesting to see the entire transportation infrastructure can pretty much fall apart. As it turns out, the SkyTrain that was uh, built for the Olympics can't run when there's snow on the tracks either. Oh, well, that's just yeah. seemed really inconvenient. <laughs> it's almost like they, they forgot they live in Canada and occasionally it snows even on the West Coast. Well, they don't live in Canada. They live in British Columbia and there's a big difference. That's true. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a microcosm. It's only 1% of the province and yet it has this weird microclimate going. So, um, <laughs> But the other thing too is it's funny when you watch the news articles you can, or news uh, stories, you can see all the cars. It's almost like you know parting of the Red Sea. All the cars just kind of drive for the ditch and that's it as soon as there's snow. So there's hundreds and hundreds of cars and buses on the side of the road and nobody's going anywhere. So I, I remember being in Vancouver when I was young and it was like there was a freak snowstorm and before it even started accumulating on the ground people were just abandoning their cars in the street and wandering around and what's going on and like panic buying like wrapping themselves up in blankets to walk down the street and we were still wearing like sandals and t-shirts because it was just above freezing going what why are they why are they doing like why are they behaving like this no it's interesting it took me a day and a half to get home from work last time uh, to get 26 miles across the straight so it was uh it was entertaining so anyway uh second story i had was uh the chinese version of sars uh version 2.0 uh starting to spread so i think last week we kind of touched on it but um it's kind of yeah, it's uh, spread over to Japan and Thailand. A couple other places, they've had their first few deaths from it now. Um, and basically, they're not 100% sure how it spreads, but it's spreading, and it's a thing. And it's uh, it's a new virus I haven't seen before, so I just thought I'd mention that before uh, things Close get... proximity and poor hygiene, that's how, it, that's how it's spreading. Yeah. Isolate, isolate, isolate. And the animals, too, in uh, different species in close proximity. Because uh, what the market it came from, they were selling marmots next door to chickens, next door to pigs, and it's uh, that movie, right? They had the uh, was very sanitary. Yeah, had yeah the, the, was that Contagion movie? I think it was had the the pigs yeah. and the uh, the bats next door to each other or something. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it's Chinese, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, new coronavirus yep. in China going crazy. Um, last one I want to talk on before I started griping too much about Vancouver snowfall is the uh, the ongoing situation in Newfoundland where they had up to twelve feet of snow in certain places. Yeah, that was insane. I saw, I saw that. It's just like when when you have to shovel through your house to get out the door. That's just oh yeah, just asinine. Is what that is. Like it's just a. One lady was opening her door, and you could actually see the outline of the door in the snow, and she had a solid wall of snow in front of her door just to get out. But the Another interesting thing you can take away from it, too, is the fact that the first thing they're doing uh, when the plows can actually push enough snow to get make headway is uh, hospitals is the first place they're, uh, they're driving routes to, and uh, that's pretty much it. Maybe police access. That's about it, but uh, the rest of the people are kind of out of luck for the next week or two, and there's only so much screech on that island before they're going to run out, right? So, I mean, they got to... Well, and that's, I mean, that's one, you know, that's a kind of a longer term problem, realistically, is, yeah. the, is, the, is the food. The shorter term problem is that you don't have any airflow anymore. And uh, so, I mean, the safety nerd in me is, is terrified that um, you're going to see a ton of cases of CO poisoning. Yeah, no, quite easily, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Because, because it's it, like, there's just nowhere to dig. Like, you're digging for days to open up your vents to be able to heat your house people have to do something right so that's uh, that to me is probably the the highest the highest priority problem yeah i think one of my biggest concerns too is as um as a firefighter is being faced with something like that is um you know our, our trucks are not going to get through 
Um, some of us have ATVs, but when you're talking about that amount of snow, ATVs are not going to cut it. Um, snowmobiles, at least on in this part of Canada, are not a big thing because we typically don't get that much snowfall. And oftentimes the snowfall is replaced by rain, so there's really no sense in having a snowmobile. If you live in like New Brunswick or Newfoundland, um, people have snow, snowmobiles there, but really what it comes down to is that emergency services can't get to you, right? Um, so well, the good news fun. is that you don't need to run your pumps. You just need a bunch of shovels. <laughs> but so the t- typical Canadian preparedness, though, there was one lady who showed some pretty good agency with this snowstorm. So she's pregnant. She's going into labor. So she drove herself to the hospital on a skidoo and uh, before she gave yeah. birth. And uh, in typical Newfie fashion, somebody else parked it for her in the parking and said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll put this away for you. Yeah, so she walked oh, into the hospital to, uh, to give birth, and then somebody else parked her snowmobile, and so she's all good. But if she didn't have the snowmobile, she would have been doing a home birth not by choice, right? Yeah, yeah. So good. So good for her. I mean, she was she was certainly prepared enough for that. Not good. That's 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 excellent. I, I really appreciate. Cheers. You can't see me raising my glass tonight, but cheers to the gentleman <laughs> that or the lady that parked that parked that nice young lady snowmobile for. Her. Yeah. Well done. Good. That's pretty much all I had. All right. So I got a couple of articles here. Uh, nothing in comparison to the snowfall in Newfoundland, but uh, Southern Ontario did see the uh, first significant snowfall of 2020. Uh, the last couple of weekends, uh, if you listen to the last couple of episodes, I talk about uh, the the pending ice storms that were possibly coming through that turned into not a whole heck of a lot here. But uh, we finally got uh, a good significant amount of snowfall. Um, so just the Weather Network did a little article, and they've got a bunch of photos. If you want to check out uh, the amount of snow dumping we got here, you can do that. And it says yeah, there's a, it was awesome. Yeah. Eight, eight inches of snow followed by an inch of rain. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Yeah, it, it took me like good. an hour and a half to dig out this morning. It's good yeah. times. But hey, what do you do? Uh, and it says that there was a reported over 250 collisions at the uh, the onset of the storm, and I'm sure they just continued from there because they yeah, turn the magnets on the ditches when it starts to snow and all the cars just fly into it. Uh, well, I mean, another, better, better in the ditches than into each other. True. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I got another article here. Uh, the city of Victoria, so in BC, is offering free emergency preparedness workshops. Um, so there'll be uh, a total of six workshops between uh, January and March, and uh, they are free to attend. So if you're in that area, why not go and check them out? And if so, you're not, book a flight. Yeah. That's right. Just don't do it during a snowstorm in Vancouver. No. Uh, yeah, so and don't I mean, book on swoop. That's right. We uh, we talked about this before the show, but I think I'll do the undercover boss thing. I'll just sit in the back, maybe with some you know glasses with a fake nose and eyebrows on it or something. And, <laughs> That'd and be great. Just listen in, and you see the weird looking guy in the back with a fake mask or fake fake goggles on. That's that's just me. So just don't forget the two. You'll, you'll be the opposite. You'll be the opposite of the gray man. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll even wear the, I'll even wear the shirt. I'll be like. Hey. Oh, there you go. Yeah. How you doing? Ah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. yeah. You know, but take but take a bunch of shirts and sell them while you're there. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. There's something there I like it. All right. <laughs> I just noticed there on the the notes there, Hughes. I didn't mean you steal your thunder, but I see you. No, no. I mean, I didn't have much to add, but yeah. So for us, um, in Eastern Canada again, it was just a huge, uh, significant snowfall event. Um, we did have something similar in Nova Scotia back in 2003. So we had Hurricane Juan that hit in September of that year, and then uh, what they call White Juan that hit a couple months after. Um, and we had a recorded snowfall. I just looked it up here: 95.5 centimeters and winds of 100 kilometers an hour um so just you know this can happen 
anywhere. I mean, it's not it's not something that is is going to happen often. But I, I recall that it happened here in in, in, in Nova Scotia. Um, the uh, I mean, we were out for three or four days, right? So if you didn't have enough uh, fuel, I mean, the power was out, all the grocery stores were closed, like everything was shut down, right? Like the province went through, into a state of emergency. Um, so I mean, if you don't have supplies to last you at least that first seventy-two hours, or um, understanding what's coming and preparing for longer. Um, that's when a lot of people got into a lot of trouble when they didn't have enough food, they didn't have enough heat, and all that kind of stuff. So, well, going back even a little further, I mean, the, there were ice storms in '98. That was my my first um, my first exposure at people being unprepared for a major weather event, and you know, people literally died heating their homes because it took too long in their mind. Well, they weren't prepared for having to wait for the uh, wait for emergency services to come get them. So. Were those the ones where they were using like locomotives and smaller rural communities to kind of power the town? If I if I yep. call correctly, yeah. right? Okay. Yep, I did that, and I mean, I I remember to this day seeing a um, seeing a guy standing on his car with a pickaxe, chipping a foot of ice off his off his windshield, and Jeez. like just there was just nowhere to go because I mean, a foot of ice is not something you can just drive through. Like, the snow tires don't count in that point in that kind of uh, an environment. But it just, yeah, they were, yeah, they were running locomotives in to to try and power things, and I mean, there were some places that were three weeks without power just because they had to literally cut all the power lines down and replace them, and it was just, it was an absolute mess, and it was, yeah, that was that was the first time that I that I saw the effects of not being prepared, and two days turned into three weeks, really quickly, and that's my story. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that maybe we'll move into what we've done lately for our prep. <laughs> uh, so, am I first? I think I am, right? Yeah. Um, so, I think what I've done is um, after the holidays, obviously with three kids, um, the holidays were really busy. So, I didn't really take a month, a month and a half off in the end of November, um, beginning of December. But I was traveling a lot. Um, three young kids. Uh, Christmas is, is a big deal. So, um, I was kind of lax on my prep. So. Look, um, at the beginning of the year, I was looking at my fuel storage, um, looking at how I'm cycling that out, how well I'm doing with that, ensuring I have enough food preps. Um, and then what I do is typically around this time of year, I go through all of my bins that I keep all of my gear in, um, ensure that everything is fresh. Um, I do this twice a year. Um, so once in the summer, once, once in the winter. So this is when I go through those bins. I go through the bobs, um, the, the get-home bags that's in the vehicle, making sure that the batteries are changed out, making sure that the food is not expired, um, ensuring that um like glow sticks are not expired all that kind of stuff so uh do this twice twice a year and that's what i've been doing for the last uh two weeks or so it's just making sure i'm going through everything um swapping out stuff that's not fresh anymore uh and then identifying uh gaps and and looking to see what i could do to close those when it comes to actual uh the physical preps that i had that's what i've been doing for the last two weeks oh and i've uh, recently got into um distilling um so we were talking about it just before the show there but um so I've always made um, things like beer and cider and wine. Um, I recently got into distilling, and what I'm looking to do is kind of build a little bit of a stockpile, so, so to speak, because um, I can distill the stuff up to 95% ABV or 190 proof, and this stuff will literally keep forever. Uh, and then if I want to use it for personal consumption, I can cut it with distilled water, use it, or um, I can use it as fuel as well. Um, and it's really cheap to make, so that's what I've been up to. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, there's no need to be an overachiever or anything. No. <laughs> no. 
Well, I was saying pre-show too. We're going to revisit the uh, distilling hard alcohol thing because uh, uh, we kind of just briefly touched on it. But that's probably the most, I guess, uh, useful skill to, to be gleaned out of that one when we try to make our own hooch. So uh, it is we'll cheapest too. Yeah, we'll do a part two. He's not even making his own hooch. He's making his own antibiotics. Like that's disinfectant <laughs> quality there. Yeah. You can irrigate wounds with that. <laughs> no, that's for sure. So. For myself, uh, I'm continuing to do the uh, the doctor thing. I met with a natural path uh, just to address a few things that uh, my medical doctor doesn't seem too interested in addressing. There's a couple of little things in the blood test that uh, want to get on top of before they turn into something uh, more significant. So I've been doing that. Uh, added some groundwater protection to our home insurance policy. There's been a whole lot of uh, flooded basements in this area, but it's been water that's come up through the foundation, so the concrete floor or in through the walls. And people are very quickly finding out that that's not covered in their, their policy. So I gave my uh, insurance company a quick uh, shout, and they actually uh, will cover that if you pay an extra $9.75 a month. Figured it was a good investment. And uh, added a few thousand rounds uh, of ammunition to my cabinet because Gotenda had a great sale, and I couldn't say no. Well, that only makes sense, right? I think that bulk yep. stuff, it's hard to uh, reload it for the same price you get the uh, the some of the stuff on sale, right? So it, it turned into about twenty three cents uh, around. Yeah, I, I don't think I can beat that. So I mean, sounds like nine millimeter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've done that math before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, I, I think with the doctors too, I think they're they're more interested in symptom management nowadays and and prescribing uh, yeah. pills to give them kickbacks rather than actually solving the actual issue. <laughs> so, yeah, it's but healthy, pretty healthy much people it. are not profitable. Uh, no. That's right. It's uh, symptom management now. So. Yeah. No, I had the conversation with him about a few things, and he's like, "Yeah, well, you're within the normal spec, so I'm not worried about it." Well, mm, no, I need to start looking at this a little bit closer. So, you know, proactivity could, in the long term, actually be cheaper than dealing with symptom management. I'm just saying, but oh, hey, you know, yeah. that's, that's nobody's interested in doing it cheaper. People no. are interested in doing it profitably. Exactly. Well, as for myself, I uh, did a lot, a whole lot of brass prep this week. Uh, everything from 357 to rifle brass to all sorts of the stuff. Um, made a couple of CGN deals. I picked up myself a new uh, uh, toy that I'm not allowed to show on live live streaming on YouTube anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, old 1911. It's pretty. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, so yeah, stripped that and that to the bare frame and uh, fixed a couple of issues that it came with. So it's actually in better shape than I got it with. Uh, so dealing with the heavy stolen power outages, we were very lucky. I don't think we only had about an hour and a half worth of no power, uh, unlike some people that were out for a few days. But I mentioned before, all the flights and ferries were cancelled, so I kind of cut into my days off. And uh, just started rotating my gas supply. Uh, the Iran thing a couple weeks ago got my attention that I'm a little lacking on some of my fuel storage, so I'm uh, trying to get rid of the old stuff, bring in the new stuff, call it a day. That's it. Oh, I uh, want to touch on stuff last week if I got time. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, because although you did touch on the main point, which is air, water, salt, bad, I think is what I put. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> air, but, water, salt, bad. Yes. Yeah. But uh, hey, you got to touch on the history of Cosmoline, which is, you know, everybody's nemesis when they get a new SKS or uh, 9130 Mosin or anything else. Um, it started out as an ointment, like an antiseptic cream that you could actually um, use for minor cuts, abrasions, and cow udders. So uh, they they invented it for actually cosmetic purposes first, and they discovered, hey, it works really good for uh, firearms and metal storage of any sorts. So, so uh, is it really just Vaseline then? Like, is that all that it is? It's it's like a tarry Vaseline, basically, uh, or same thing as bag balm or anything else. But it's just it's just a different composition to make it a little thicker and less heat. Uh, 
I'd say less more heat resistant is what I'm trying to say. Um, anyways, and then same thing with Ballastol. Uh, it actually started out as a, in Germany, and it's the same idea. It's kind of like Windex in that my big fat Greek wedding where they're spraying Windex on everything. And uh, <laughs> Ballastol, you can like basically do everything. I think short of drink it, and it's uh, it's good for <laughs> the same type of things uh, for a cosmetic thing, but it's also good for uh, corrosive ammunition, uh, metal storage, preservatives, everything else. I use a more a uh, modern stuff, which is the break-free CLP. Um, same idea. It's just basically putting a, a layer of oil between the air and the metal, which is good. And uh, one thing you guys didn't touch on was vacuum sealing. But oh, yeah. You're right, we didn't. Yeah, uh, you're right. If you're going to use a vacuum sealer, I highly recommend you at least use two plies of the vacuum sealing uh, plastic. Put rags around to soften edges around anything you want to seal in, uh, in a vacuum sealer rag. Desiccant packs or O2 absorbers from Rapid Survival would probably be a good idea yeah. to throw in there. And uh, also, if you're going to do that, if you're going to do the vacuum sealer bag trick, is seal your metal and your wood parts separate. It can that way you can just soak the metal parts in oil and kind of keep the wood in a lightly wrapped, uh, you know, kind of moisture resistant uh, setup. Um, that way, the wood doesn't get oil soaked and kind of start disintegrating. Not the hijack, but if you guys have used, um, uh, frog lube. For your firearms, uh, I've had really bad luck with frog lube, and uh, uh, nobody, nobody that I know of actually likes it. <laughs> I've I've had okay luck uh, with yeah. some like with Glocks, um, but it came down to having to heat the Glock um, to a, a rather almost uncomfortable temperature before applying the product. Um, but otherwise, it seemed to work great. Uh, and somebody actually found that it's basically just coconut oil, I guess. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's what they use uh, in third world countries a lot is with uh, firearms as coconut oil because it's cheap and abundant. But um, again, it can go rancid. It's, you know, bugs like it and, you know, they'll eat it, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, that's all, pretty much all I just want to touch on from last week's stuff. All right. Uh, Alan seems to have disappeared on us. So uh, I guess we'll skip him for now. And if he decides to rejoin us, you can uh, tell us what he's done lately. Right. And uh, let's move into the uh, main topic of the show then. All right. So the uh, history of DEFCON or defense condition levels. I put a little link in the show notes to the Wikipedia article. It started out in the Cold War, uh, actually as early as the late 40s, early 50s, when they started doing the uh, continuity of government stuff. They uh, came up with the idea that it should actually have like a escalating level of conditions to put the armed forces on alert. And it started off with basically DEFCON 5 being the normal operations, so it's just your lowest state of res res readiness, uh, working all the way up to... Which would uh, be condition white for your... or condition yellow for your situational situational awareness people. That's right. He's back. Um, <laughs> you go all the way up to DEFCON 1, where that's basically the missiles already in the air, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, Doctor Strange love riding the, the atomic bomb down with your cowboy hat wave, and that's DEFCON 1, so... Um, yeah, so we got uh, five levels to talk about. So I think uh, Hughes this is kind of your baby if you want to start off. Yeah, sure. So hopefully my you guys can hear me. Hopefully my mic's not cutting in and out. Uh, if it is, just let me know and I'll go swap it out. Um, so basically, the way this started for me is that when I started into prepping, the one thing I was focused on was getting as many things as cool as possible, uh, whether it was food or fuel or ammunition or um, anything that came to like camping gear and all kind of stuff. So I was, um, I was tunnel vision focused on getting all these things. Um, and over the course of time, I said to myself, um, you know, I've I should have a plan for if something happens as to what I should be doing because I'm probably not going to have my mental game um, at a state where I need it to be um, if some 
catastrophic event is happening, whether that's a weather-related event uh, or something like what's been happening in Iran. Um, so what I did was I looked at what the U.S. did with the DEF CON, and I kind of modeled it and looked and said, okay, based on what might be happening around me, whether it's a weather event or geopolitical unrest and all that kind of stuff, what do I have to do to get red ready? So what I did is I started off at level five, being that this is a minimum state of readiness that I need in order to sustain myself for, let's say, two weeks. And that was kind of like where I started. Um, and then I would build that out to three weeks and four weeks and so on. Um, and then if I know that, you know, like recently um, in September here in Nova Scotia, we had a hurricane that barreled down on us. So basically from there, I went from a DEFCON 5 to a DEFCON 3. Um, and you can call it whatever you want, but it's just increasing your state of, red, 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 of a readiness from um, something that's, you know, situation is normal to something where, you know what, there's a, there's a hurricane about to hit us. We could be out of power for two weeks. Uh, we could be fending for ourselves for food uh, and medicine and first aid, all that kind of stuff for a certain amount of time. So what do I have to do above and beyond DEFCON 5 to be ready um, to sustain myself for, you know, two weeks? Um, so that's kind of where it started. I don't know if you guys do something similar or if you have something kind of like a written guideline of based on what's happening around you, what level do I have to be and am I there currently, I guess. Yeah, I, like I that mean, set up. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great setup. Actually, I was thinking about this is, you know, like there's definitely things to do with each step as well. Like um, you're mentioning like on level five, the normal ops, it's just like we preach on the uh, the podcast here is like, you know, the world's not going to end tomorrow at this point in DEFCON 5. So, you know, continue to slowly accrue your vital preps, like buy in bulk, you know, when the, when the, the, the sales come up, but not before. Uh, yeah. Small steps, improvements every day. And then, uh, you know, but from this is where actually I fall apart sometimes when I get on the acreage here and I start ignoring everything outside the acreage. Is you still got to pay attention to things that are going on globally because, I mean, like, um, yeah, for all I know, something could have happened in Iran today. And I tell you the truth, unless my wife tells me, I won't know. Um, and, you know, to get a balanced source, don't just watch CNN, please. Like, <laughs> watch stuff from all around, yeah, all around the world. Or even, yeah, don't even watch Fox all the time. Cheers. That's just as biased as anything else. So, yeah. I mean, Take a look at BBC World. Take a look at, if you have to, Al Jazeera or if you want RT or whatever. But just watch something other than Canadian news because you're probably going to get a much more balanced approach to a lot of stuff. So right. I'm not saying I, I think any one of them is right. I think somewhere in the middle of all those biases or if it's probably close yeah. to the truth. But uh, that's the big thing with, uh, for me, DEFCON 5 stuff. And I think, well, um, and I think the, the key yeah. there is to pay attention to what they're all saying that's the same. Yeah. Right, because yes, they're absolutely. all going to say they're all going to say different things, but when they start saying the same thing, that's when it's time to really pay attention. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, you mentioned hopping up to already did Con three. I think uh, for me, like the other day when the Iran stuff was uh, was popping up, I guess you know subconsciously I went to more of a Defcon four situation where I was like, okay, what am I really lacking? And that's where that gas idea came up. It's like you know I really need to rotate that gas. I'm, I got a few empty jerry cans and. You know, one of the vehicles is sitting at half a tank. I should probably go take care of all that. And so, like, give yourself an honest assessment of what you're lacking because before the panic starts, you might yeah. as well have some increased vigilance and maybe pay attention to the news because, like we mentioned before, if uh, RT, Al Jazeera, BBC World, and CBC all agree that there's been an attack in Iran, it's probably what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it is it is those little things, right? I mean, you mentioned you know, like one of my vehicles is that half tank of fuel. It's those little things where I know I've got long term fuel, 
but I don't want to have to dip into that long-term fuel unless I have to. So yeah. when something like um, the hurricane was kind of coming down, like my wife's van was probably at half a tank, my truck was three-quarter tank, the ATV was probably almost empty. So it's like, oh, so I probably could use you know 150 to 200 liters of fuel to top up all the vehicles, to top up the small jerry cans that I have around the house without dipping into the long-term fuel, right? So these are little things that you kind of don't really pay attention to day to day but understanding that there's an event that's happening i could use those 200 liters of fuel before i dip into my long-term storage right um that's one of the best examples i guess of going to like from defcon 5 to defcon 3 i guess yeah and then same thing if i was going to amp it up a level uh, a level to, to three for sure i'd want to know where everything i need to take with me if i'm going to be leaving where everything is because there's nothing worse than trying to pack up the car in a rush and go geez where is that that car jack that i've been i want to take with me for my bug out kit and, you know, that's the time to start searching through the storage shed for all that stuff. If you have a mag, I mean, you should already be talking regularly, but maybe yep. just agree with your mag as to situationally appropriate rally points or bug out locations. Like if it's a, you don't want to go downwind from nuclear plant, you don't want to go towards Iran. You know? yep. <laughs> uh, so maybe start talking with your mag is what they think is the best idea. Maybe stay in place. I mean, it might be the limit to that. I mean, uh, also at this point, if things are starting to get dicey, limit your family activities. There's no sense sending your kids off to a field trip, you know, 500 miles away if there's a big snowstorm coming in and, uh, or whatever. I mean, so, and consider the quarantine. Like I mentioned the SARS thing a little while ago. Uh, maybe if the SARS got within a hundred miles of your house, maybe start thinking about those things, right? One thing too, um, that I've, I found was be really useful is if, um, so I've got a six by 12 enclosed, um, that I would use in case I had to bug out of here. Right. And the amount of time it would take, it takes me to get that ATV into the trailer, to get that hooked up to the truck, to get some bins into the trailer. Subconsciously, I think I could probably do that in 10 minutes, 10 minutes, right? There's no way, there's no way I could do that. I mean, it takes me probably five minutes to hook up the trailer to, to the truck. Then I have to pull it forward, open the doors, get the bike started, get the bike in there. I have to tie down the bike because if not, it's going to just destroy the trailer. Um, so looking at how much time it takes me to do this when I'm not under stress is probably about 15 to 20 minutes, right? So if I have to bug out in five minutes, the trailer and the ATV and the bins are not even a consideration. I can't do it. So understanding that if it's a possibility that I may have to leave, um, getting the bike into the trailer, getting the bins into the trailer, they're all there and ready to go. And even it takes me less time to unhook the trailer than it does to hook it up. So if I put it on the hitch, it takes me 10 seconds to unhook it versus the amount of time it takes me to hook it because of the fact that I can't move the trailer. Um, I have to literally position it perfectly in order to get that done. So it's just kind of thinking through those things saying, you know, if I've got to leave and I've got five minutes, am I able to take this enclosed trailer and load it up? No, I'm not going to be able to. That's some great points. That's kind of like what we've been saying throughout all the episodes of just knowing your equipment, knowing your limitations, knowing how to operate it and, and how long it takes you to do things and, and how basically just how things work and, and having a realistic view on, uh, and on actually using them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that just boils down to the honest assessment, right? Like if you, if you think, oh, it's going to be fine. I'll have it done in three minutes. No problem. It's not realistic. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, if you can't be honest with yourself, there's a problem, right? So, yeah. um, yeah, that, 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 that's the time to do it rather than at DEFCON 2, for example. Uh, yeah. yeah. And at the same time, I'm thinking, like, if I had to put my wife and three kids into the car at the same time, they're going to come before the trailer. Um, right. And so if that's all I manage to get, then that's all I get. But at the same time, I would be wishing that I had that trailer full of fuel, full of food, full of water, have an ATV, which is a second vehicle, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, and that the fact that the ATV can pull its own trailer... Um, 
where the truck can't go. So um, just kind of thinking through these are the things that when I go from DEFCON 5 to 4 to 3, saying, you know what, I got to load, load that trailer. I got to hook, hook it up to the truck. If I need to go so, somewhere without the trailer, it's 10 seconds to un- unhook it versus five minutes to, uh, hook, hook, to uh, hook it up, right? So. Yeah. So a fine example of DEFCON 2, actually, the other day, um, one of the people on the Facebook page mentioned that she had a bit of an adventure when that uh, nuclear alert went off. So she basically hit her own version of DEFCON 2, maybe even a 1. She basically uh, started the vehicle, hopped in, and she wanted that first mover advantage. So she blasted down south, heading towards the U.S. border, um, which is good for her. But uh, she also realized that she didn't have a spare tire and her passport and everything else. And she got a flat. <laughs> but she was telling us the story on there. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's actually less- lessons learned. But, um, you know, good for her. At least she was she did the, the first mover advantage thing. So there was, yeah. and there was a lot of learning. To be, to be had there so um, well and that, that speaks to the necessity to run drills right i mean it's it's great yeah. to it's great to war game on and do tabletop exercises and say well i want to take these 10 bins and these 40 boxes of food and put the kid on the left side and put the wife on the right side but until you've actually done it a couple of times done some dry runs it's all theoretical right and that's why i mean that's that's why the military does you know live live action exercises all the time is for this exactly right so for going from DEFCON 4 to DEFCON 3, what do they have to do? And I mean, we're, you know, nobody's ever going to pretend that we're all, that we're paramilitary in any way, but we can model our actions after, like model our exercises after their exercises, right? Yeah. So the idea is like, you know, train like you fight, fight like you train. Yep. Yep. So I think yeah, Ian, hard, uh, the hardier, the hardier sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. That's right. I think Ian had a great example of, you know, if your preps aren't all in one spot, how much time is it going to take you to get them all together and get them into a vehicle? And how many things are you actually going to forget? Right. Yeah. Like you're going to get, get on the road and you're going to be like, oh, I forgot this. I forgot that. I forgot that. Right. So, um, you know, part of being at DEF CON 5 is getting all those things when you have the time to do it, getting all those things in one central area so that when you are under stress and you're thinking, I've got to get it out of here, I've got to get my family in a vehicle, I've got to get these preps in a vehicle, you're not running around. Um, you're just taking them from one place and putting them to another place. And once the kids are in the car, you get your wife to help you out. Well, not even get them in the vehicle, but get them in the vehicle efficiently. So, like you mentioned, the bins and have them all pre-packed and everything else. I mean, if you pack like I do when I'm going camping, I basically fill the truck with all sorts of random stuff in random locations, and they could probably hold about three times as much stuff in reality. But in yeah. reality, I'm just heaving in the back, and and so it's like, yeah, I mean, the organization is key because you're gonna be able to not just carry more stuff, but you won't be forgetting anything, like you said. So, yeah. so one thing I've done for that, at least, and I don't want to derail this, but um, in the enclosed trailer, what I've done is I've put e-track, and for those not familiar with e-track, it's basically just this track that runs alongside of the trailer, and then what you can do is you can use things like two by fours to divide the trailer. Um, so when it came to my preps, I used to have everything in like, these cheap Rubbermaid bins that you buy places like Walmart, like a uh, Walmart, they're like seven, seven bucks or so. Anyways, um, last year I found these Plano. Yeah, there you go. Those ones. <laughs> like, like those things. So, right? <laughs> there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found the Plano Sportman's tote. Um, they're basically uh, they're 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 lockable, so the actual lids lock onto the bins. Um, you can put some padlocks or some some so some zip ties and all that kind of stuff, and they're stackable. So when you have two or three or four on top of each other, they're really not going to go anywhere. And then I just basically put a ratchet strap on that um, and I can get four in there pretty quickly, get a right, get one right ratchet strap on it. It's not going to move at all. Right. So um, being able to understand how much room that these take and how high I can stack them and all that kind of stuff has been a great advantage as to how fast I can get preps from point A to point B, I guess. Yeah. 
So I guess moving on to uh, DEFCON 2, this is the time to basically start the vehicle. If you haven't packed it, pack it. But uh, it is the time where the first mover advantage does come in handy, right? So um, I'd say at this point, you're definitely limiting your excursions from the family. Uh, keep a high alert on where everybody is at the time. If they have to go to work or whatever, just make sure you have like a good two-way communication updates as to what's going on. Uh, this is where I didn't invoke a uh, quarantine if there was actually like any sort of like a pandemic problem. Uh, because at that point, if it's like you know, short of a, an absolute emergency, you might as well be a little proactive on that one too. Yeah, it can't hurt. Yeah. So this is like for from a from a military standpoint, this is six hour deployment. This means that everybody is on base, nobody's drinking, everybody's like you're carrying around your carrying around your uh, all all the tools you need to actually be able to walk out if if uh, oh when the shit hits the fan and. Uh, you know that that puts us again. We're not we're not military. We're not a militia. We're not anything like that. Um, but we can certainly be ready to do it. So that's when I've you know that's when you know my passport goes in my pocket and not in my car. So yeah. that yeah. you know it, you know it's not it's not in the safe. It's in my pocket. So that if I do have if I do decide that you know the border is my best option to get get out of Dodge, uh, I'm not getting halfway there and going oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not talking your way through that if if uh, no. if everybody's on high alert. So no, definitely um, not. That is also the time to be planning all of your routes to avoid major highways and heavily populated areas. Um, yeah, one thing I wanted to mention as well is we talked a lot about bugging out, but one of the things about my lists that I have for the DEFCON is I have a, a DEFCON list for bugging in and one for bugging out. So obviously the bugging out one is, you know, what do I have to take to get, get on the road? Um, the bugging in is basically, what do I have to do to the home above and beyond its normal state to get it ready to bug in and stay in the lower location? Like, where do I place the vehicles within the property? Like, do I put one at the top of the driveway to block any vehicles from coming down my driveway? Um, just, those kind of, just, those, just those types of things as to um, how can I better prepare the house other than its current state to be here for a long period of time, I guess. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, the, the ideal thing would be with a DEFCON 1 situation is to have your bug in or out completed by this time, right? So, like, for the example of the Fort McMurray fires, it's like everybody raced for the one highway out of town at the same time, and by that time, you should, if you're not in the front of the line, you're probably pooped, right? So, yeah. um, That's a good point for having two lists as well. Like that's something that a lot of people will overlook. They'll focus on one and yeah, they completely yeah. forget about, well, there's actually two options, staying here or yeah. get the heck out. And that's the thing is, is you know, my preference would obviously to be to bug in because everything's here, right? Yeah. Um, so I, and then you have to, you know, there's going to come a point where you have to say, okay, I've got to go. So then you switch lists, you go to the yeah. bug out list and say, how long do I expect to be gone? And that's where we start. And that's what I got to put in the vehicle. That's what I got to, you know, hook, hook up the trailer. Um, how much fuel, basically all of the fuel, right? Um, just, just stuff like that, I guess. Oh, that's good. Good point. So every every single every single prep has two sides of it, right? Everything we do, we have you know it's great to you know we have water stability for ourselves. It's really great to have a fantastic well that you pump from within your basement, so you don't have to go outside and it's never gonna it's never gonna freeze. That is you know an excellent water source. So you probably don't need to stockpile it, but that doesn't help you if you have to leave. So yeah, it, it's that's a fantastic point of having the two. Um, having the two options together so that we are not, um, we're not, we're not at all stuck with one option. Yeah, you don't want to be hamstrung with your choices, right? 
No. Uh, Fraser here in the live chat brings up a good point. He uh, just mentions that road, roadmaps is something that, uh, that he missed. And not all gas stations carry them anymore. And I uh, learned that during the power plant uh, incident. So great point. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And the, even the, uh, more importantly, the back roads map books. Like, yes. uh, it yeah. doesn't really count in Southern Ontario, but like I'm sure uh, Nova Scotia has one. We've definitely got them here. It basically shows everything that isn't a highway. So Yeah, so one thing you could do is you can go to the Department of Natural Resources and get one one to 25,000 or one to 50,000 uh, topographical maps for the area. Um, and it's good to get for the area that you're in, for the area that you expect to bug, bug out to, because again, electronics can and will fail. Um, paper yeah. maps um, are going to be your best option, right? And it's not only that, but again, it's learning how to use a compass, how to calibrate it for the magnetic de declination of the chart that you're using, just all that kind of stuff, right? So this all goes into the prep. And part of that is is in the DEF CON list is, you know, once I get to an area, making sure I have the right uh, topographical map, making sure I can set the magnetic declination of my compass to ensure that I'm, I'm navigating properly. Um, and then another thing too is, um, you know, if I'm taking my fuel storage with me, understanding that when my truck is towing 5,000 pounds, what's my expected mile mileage compared to how much fuel I have on board? So how far can, can I get without re refueling? And that gives me a range of basically where I can bug out to because I'm bugging out expecting that I'm not going to be able to refuel at all. So if I'm leaving with, you know, 124 liter gas tank, 300 liters of fuel in the back of the vehicle, I can expect to get to Quebec or Ontario with, without a problem. Um, knowing the range of the vehicle when you're towing a trailer, and a, a good a good thing when you're when you're planning your routes, and of course you're going to plan your routes as much as you can and and adjust them for what's working and what's not, you know, in terms of what's in the, in your way. But um, don't go past don't go past a gas station. If you can get into a gas station and, and it's, you're not going to be sitting for an hour still waiting. You know, yeah, maybe you've got three quarters of a tank, but take the time to top it up because that extra quarter tank might get you that last little bit that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get. Um, we, uh, I remember the first time I drove from, you know, southern Ontario on the Lake Erie shore up to Timmins, and I didn't know how far the next gas station was. So, you know, we put in, you know, $8 worth of gas, which that, that far ago was, you know, was a fair bit. It was a little more than half a tank. Uh, it was a little more than a quarter tank, I guess, but um, I didn't know how far that how far that got that you know how how far until the next gas station because we didn't have I mean that was before the time of smartphones, so it was you know maybe it's four hours to the next gas station maybe it's seven hours to the next gas station maybe we go off on a, on some weird road that we miss a turn and we get lost and we need every drop of gas to get to where we're going. That said, last year when I last summer when I drove through New Brunswick. There's a road in, in New Brunswick. I think it's Highway 7. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But that road, is bas it basically cuts the, cuts the province in half diagonally from north northwest to kind of east. It's 140 kilometers of straight driving, and there's nowhere to stop. There's nowhere to pull over. It's logging roads off to the left and right. There are no amenities. There are no turnarounds. There are no stop signs. Heck of a drive. It was a whole lot of fun in a rented truck. But really easy to run out of gas, like 140 kilometers. If you didn't stop at the way, you know, if you didn't stop on the way prior and went, oh, it's okay, I'll just stop at the next one. Right? That kind of makes me think about um, 
I've never been, but when you see in movies, um, you know, you're driving through the, that desert and you see like last chance gas for like 300 miles, right? Or something yep. like that. Exactly. Um, it's kind of like, okay, maybe I should, I should get some fuel here. Cause <laughs> yeah, maybe I should stop and fuel up because just in case. It. Or maybe yeah, it's just uh, a sales technique. Ah, uh, could be. Well, and, that, and that's, that's why I think that's probably why people get into that mindset is, well, you said last chance gas, but so did the guy before you. So who's really the last chance? And then yeah. all of a sudden you're 300 miles down the road going, Oh, dang it. Maybe that was actually the last chance. <laughs> one thing, um, I, I was just going to mention, like, one thing. So I've got I've got a bug-in list for DEF CON. I've got a bug-out list for, for DEF CON. But one thing I don't have, and I'm sitting here thinking about, um, is is once I arrive to my bug-out location, um, I should probably have a similar list to the bug-in one. Understanding that I can't use the bug-in one I have at home because I'm not going to have all those amenities and you know a, a drilled well and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's going to be the next thing I'm going to work on is understanding uh, where I'm going to be bugging out to. What do I need to set up that camp or that area um, to be as as best prepared as I can based on where I am. Um, so uh, probably a good tip for anyone on, uh, that's listening, but um, also having a list of things to do when you get there. Because if you're bugging out, um, I mean, you know, crap has hit the fan. Um, you're not home anymore. You're somewhere away from your home. You're with your family. You've got to take care of them. You've got to take care of the kids. You've got to set up camp. You've got to think about security, water, fuel, um, you know, keeping the kids entertained so that they don't go crazy and drive you, right? So um, I guess having a list to kind of go through that stuff as well can really give you, okay, you've arrived at your camp. What's the first thing you've, you've got to do, right? Set up camp. Um, you get, get a source of heat if it's winter. Uh, make sure your fuel is, is squared away. Like refuel the vehicle. So if you have to hit the, hit the road again, you've got a full tank. Just kind of thinking through that, right? Well, it's like the modern day equivalent of circling the wagons and loggering in, you know, like they used to do on, on, on the old days, right? <laughs> I mean, because who knows what's coming in the middle of the night. So like you said, fuel up, if you're having everything fueled up is a great idea that the, you know, outer perimeter security, just to keep an eye on things. Hopefully you have more than just you and your family. I mean, ideally you'll have a group together, but um, actually before I forget, Traveling Prepper mentioned uh, a good point too, that if you're going to rotate your gas like I am or use, uh, fill up with gas in this time of year, the winter gas blend usually has a different ethanol content and usually not to the good, right? It's usually a little worse. So uh, it might not last as long if you buy all your gas right now. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't use stable, maybe rotate a little faster during winter. And if you can, you can get the higher, um, the higher octane. So don't buy the regular, buy the super um, costs a little more now, but if there's less ethanol in it. Yeah. Good to know. I got to cop out with Fraser's question there when he says what firearm would be ideal for a situation like this. I'd say the one in your hand. All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But because we're not, we're not in the States, we can't really talk about uh, aggressively using firearms per se, especially live on a, on a podcast. But, uh, well, I mean, what, what are the, the real answer is depends on what you're hunting. Yeah. And it exactly. depends on the there terrain you you're going to. But so the if, you're, if you're in dense forest, boreal forest, you want a shotgun. If you're out in the prairies, you want a rifle. Um, anything else you want to abide by your local laws. But at the same time, I mean, I see firearms as being a barter item as well, right? Um, so if it's something like, you know, if I if I bug out with, let's say, five shotguns, do I need five? Probably not. But if I can barter a shotgun for something that's worth a lot more like food or fuel. Um, so, I mean, if somebody has, you know, 500 liters of fuel, they want to barter for a semi-automatic shock shotgun, I'm, I'm all game, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, understanding that you have to keep the bare minimum on hand, but um, these, like any 
thing like um, if you have an abundance of moonshine or if you have an abundance of food or water or anything, it can be used as a barter item as well. And uh, Stephen, one of these days, we're going to convince well. Hughes to actually give us a tour of his um, of his cellar and see just how much moonshine he really has. <laughs> Uh, so Steve, remember, uh, if you're going to the uh, live chat as well, just mentioning that um, the gas will burn faster, also with a uh, higher ethanol content. Yeah, you'll get as much fuel efficiency out of it for sure. But remember, if you're in Canada and you're bartering firearms, even in a um, crap hit the hand fan situation, make sure you check that they have a uh, PAL. Um. <laughs> or they reasonably believe that they yeah. do, or you don't believe you you don't believe that they don't is the wording, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. you have to reasonable, reasonably assured that they have a pal. Yeah, there you go. That's the correct wording. Yeah. So we're, I mean, this is still we're still under the rule of law. We are still like this is this is not a this is not a martial law, um, every man for himself situation. Like we're. Yeah. Things are things are potentially going very bad, but it hasn't actually happened yet. Yeah, right. That's the that's the whole that's the whole point of these different DEFCON levels. Like we're really ready for something to go really badly, but nobody actually wants bombs dropped. So it may it may in fact escalate. Yeah. yeah, and one thing to point out with that too is if you look at something like Def, Def, DEFCON one, and you speak about like the rule of law and all that kind of stuff. Um, you've got to think that, you know, police officer, men and women um, that are protecting us, like firefighters and paramedics and all kind of stuff, they all have families as well. Um, so how many of them would stay at their post versus how many would defect their post to be with their family and take care of their family is something that is pretty interesting. And I don't think we've had the opportunity to really see here in Canada um, or the United States for that uh, matter, right? Um, I mean, if you look at places like, uh, what is it, like Louisiana, when K K Katrina hit, basically the majority of the police department just left, um, and that became like a law of the state for a few days, right? Um, and, I mean, this is not something that happened in, you know, some some third world country. This happened in the United States of America, and it was only like probably, what, 15 years ago? Um, so it's not that far off, right? Well, yeah, I mean, even a place like Louisiana, though, I mean, it got really bad, but eventually rule of law did return. So if you're going to start going all, uh, you know, Rambo and the zombie apocalypse, you got to remember that you might have to answer for your actions. It's going to catch up to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, barring a zombie apocalypse or like nukes flying or anything else, you're probably going to have to like justify your actions later on. So just keep that in mind. And that's the thing. I mean, if you're off to fend for yourself for a few days, like you said, you know, this was a localized state of emergency. Um, you know, they're going to get the National Guard and they're going to get the military in and then they're going to restore the rule of law. And to your point, um, if you're if you've become like a lord of war of the state of Louisiana, <laughs> that's going to that's going to end pretty quickly. Right. They're going yeah. to put an end to that. So, yeah. 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 But uh, I mean, yeah, it depends on the DEFCON 1 situation at that point, right? I mean, the rule of law might have disappeared, I mean, but might not have. So more than likely it hasn't. But anyway, I guess... That means the rule of law at that point. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am the law. <laughs> so uh, yeah, at that point, I'd say DEFCON 1, I mean, at that point, all of your preps are pretty much... There's no more, there's no more prepping to be done, right? I mean, either yeah. you're bugged in or you're bugged out. And all you can really do at that point is kick back and know what you've done, what you can, and hopefully you're where you want to be and with who you want to be with, right? Like, uh, hopefully a mag or whatever. And, um, yeah, a DEFCON 1 is pretty much uh, a fait accompli, so they would say, right? Yeah. Nowhere else to go. Yeah. That's what all I had. Yeah. Oh, like I said, I, I, like, uh, I like having the, the, the organization that this kind of list 
provides and the ability to, to sit back at, well, times are good and look it over and, and kind of put a plan together while you're not sitting in that situation of, oh no, what do I do with the, you know, the high stress and the anxiety and the, the rushing around? You've got it all planned out. You've got it all sorted. You're able to run through it and, and make sure that everything is where it needs to be. And there's just a, a level of organization, which would put a lot of uh, checklist people to minds the rest. And uh, I happen to be one of those people. I like lists. So yeah, I mean, checklist, checklists are fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. traveling prepper brought up a good point too. Like he's either a DEFCON five or a DEFCON one. There's kind of nowhere in between. <laughs> and we're all kind of like that, right? We're either, we're either you know, we're playing yeah. PlayStation or we're like prepping for the zombie apocalypse because we got to get this shit done now. Yeah. And so uh, it's actually nice to have a graduate list to kind of like just not put your own mind at ease, but also like be methodical so you, you're less likely yeah. to miss stuff. So actually, it's uh, this is a really good. Uh, I think I like though, it. what the list did for me primarily is is on top of organizing and satisfying my my to do list OCD um, was to. Uh, it, it basically brought up more questions than it answered originally, because um, I was looking at the different DefCon levels. I was like, okay, so I can I can get the truck packed in like five minutes, and I'm I'm talking like hooking up a trailer, and I was like, no man, I can't. Like you know, when I'm hooking up the trailer and the, and putting the bike in it to go for like a bike run, it's like 20 minutes, um, yeah. and even if I was under stress, I probably couldn't do it much much faster right um so that really got me thinking you know what when it comes to defcon 2 and i've got to bug out i need i need need at least an hour basically so if somebody comes knock knock on my door and says you've got five minutes to leave it's kids and wife and some some protein bars and that's it right so yeah priorities yeah i think i think the list just helps make everything realistic like you can realistically sit down see what you can actually get done and then apply it to different stages and I think it's uh, I think it's a really smart way of doing things. It's uh, I'm definitely going to start. Uh, and it just it just gets you to I mean your your mind is already in, your mind's going to be ra- racing. And the thing is is I know that under high stress situations, as calm as you want to remain, you're going to forget things. Oh Whereas yeah. This gets you, you know, for the pilots out there, you understand that you know the list is going to get you through what you need to do to survive, right? Or survivors extend survivor. Tunnel vision does happen under stress, right? So you, if you have a nice checklist right in front of you, you can focus on that with your little tunnel vision and then carry on. And speaking of forgetting things, I forget things on just regular types of days when I'm not under a lot of stress. So once you get that whole adrenaline dump and, and the stress going, yeah, I'm, I'm forgetting a whole lot of stuff. So having that list, just a nice little fallback, little safety net for you, and just make sure that you you stay on track and you, you do everything that you think you actually, you know, you have to get done. And I found as well, like I first had it in Evernote. Um, so I had it all nice in Evernote and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, what if my laptop breaks? What if my iPad's not working? Right. So what I did at that point is I printed it and I'm like, well, it's a piece of paper. What if it gets wet? So my wife as a teacher has a lamb as a laminator. So I laminated it. Um, so then at least I have a laminated copy that whether it gets wet or destroyed or, you know, I've got a second copy too and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of thinking through, through those things of saying, you know, what, what if it's an EMP? Well, your lists are all gone unless you have a paper uh, copyright. So, ah, good point. Laminators are hard to buy nowadays. I think you pretty much have to go to Staples to get stuff laminated too, eh? Amazon. Just buy a thirty-dollar laminator of Amazon, some pouches, and that's it. Uh-huh. Nice. What does Amazon uh, have? Yeah, <laughs> nothing. Amazon. There's nothing that Amazon Preppers doesn't dream. have. I drove by one of their distribution centers the other day. Just uh, on an off-topic here, it's massive. Was it the Brampton one or well, uh, the one just outside of Georgetown? Okay. Massive. So in Milton, couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen it before. But well, they're, they're, building one in Ed- they're building one in Edmonton now, too. It's just massive. And so, yeah. So and, we, and, well, and, you know, that's... Um, 
everybody who may or may not be law enforcement should plug their ears at this moment. But that's really a good place to be near if the shit hits the fan. Sure. <laughs> well, it's it's almost it'd be like a continual Christmas. It's like, hey, what's in this, this little palette? Oh, it's, it's fuzzy exactly. bunny keychains. Oh, okay. Well, we don't need those. But nope. next one might okay, be that we're, we're, we're past from, like a tent or like a tender store or foc yeah. or yeah what am, yeah. what am i gonna do with like fifty thousand colt 1911 holsters in one box and it's like oh huh Barter. <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean you know they're they're in uh um either canadian tire or like a home depot would be a great place to be near um if we are getting to a point where we no longer have the rule of law to to, to be but the problem is, is that you and everybody else has thought of that stuff. So, I mean, yeah. there's going to be the average completely unprepared people, and they're going to go, I'm going to Walmart. And nope. they're going to do some, <laughs> some, you know, some high-speed shopping through the front window. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be crowds there. And then, of course, you run into, like, fighting over that last big-screen TV during the riots. And yeah. and that causes more problems than it solves, I think, half the time, depending yeah, on when you get Yeah, there. but I'm bigger and meaner and more and more precise in what I'm doing. So, so I'm, I'm see, because, uh, because all of us here have already been through, like, going to Walmart for preps and all that kind of stuff, we're going to be at the liquor store when, <laughs> when it hits the fan. It's not up there, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's a good point. Had my hand yeah. that 50-year-old cut for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, because I mean, hopefully you've got everything else. You don't. You're not in a mass panic. Maybe I suppose if you went there after the crowds had left Canadian Tire and looted everything of value, you could go pick up the canning jars that they left behind and stuff like that. Because I'm actually help, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's true. Well, shall we move into the podcast challenge? Yeah, I think I so. Should. All right. So uh, for this week, we've got uh, make a list of what would trigger your uh, conditions to change. Um, so, for example, outbreak within 100 miles, uh, etc. Come uh, come out with uh, prearranged rally points and triggers for leaving. And then uh, you know, if you you do make a DefCon list, maybe send it into us, and we can get it out for uh, everybody else to to hear, and we can discuss it. Or let us know if it's okay to publish it. Yeah, that too. Yeah, definitely. That's we're, we're always we're always happy to critique and give feedback privately. Yeah, um, but we also love to share the share the content as well because it uh, it helps everybody else out. Yep, and you can uh, send that into a uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, let's move into some uh, upcoming events. All right, so uh, for myself, I got the tenth annual podcaster charity shoot hosted by Slamfire Radio, which is July fourth, twenty twenty, in Belmoral, New Brunswick. That's the Rest to Goose Gun Club. Camping's available at a nearby town called Dalhousie. And uh, there'll be a steel pistol bay trap uh, and skeet shooting, I guess, and just as well as some fun shoots as well. Stop the Bleed course is available from uh, Gavin at Ragnarok Tactical and Canadian Patriot Podcast. And uh, still working on the charity, but uh, pay attention. They do have a Facebook page that's uh, under the 10th Annual Podcaster Charity Shoot. Uh, easy to find. And uh, the, any announcements for the charity and stuff will be coming up on there, I think, within a couple weeks. So Awesome. Uh, so I've got the uh, annual Preppers Meet. Uh, so it is the second week of July in Desboro, Ontario. Uh, so it's always a good time. I've made it out there for the last couple of, uh, of meets. There's always a, a nice large group of people uh, all willing to share their knowledge and experience with others. Uh, lots of uh, good instructors as well uh, who put on some good, uh, some good seminars and some good lectures and, and a lot of good hands-on uh, learning. Uh, it's a good long weekend of uh, camping as well. So camping's available. Throw a tent up and then uh, hang out by the campfire and spend the day learning lots of things from lots of people. That's really cool. I hope to get out this year. That's, uh, I wanted to go last year, but the timing didn't work out. Uh, I'm really hoping to get out to that this year. Yeah, it's a good go. Yeah, I saw actually uh, uh, Shay put up something today. He was making a uh, wiki up, like a giant oh. uh, TP type of thing. 
And uh, so in the middle of the snowstorm there, it's uh, was you know weathering like multiple uh, dumps of snow on it and everything else. So, so he's already playing around on campax as we speak. So perfect, cool. Uh, and then before even that, our the next kind of big prepper event is uh, emergency preparedness week, which is coming up uh, May third to ninth. Uh, that's always super nerdy, super geeky, and we will have lots and lots of great information uh, on the. Uh, the episode be- beginning and ending that week. Cool. And that, that's all. That's all I got. Um, the next one we didn't have a name next to that. Am I reading that one too? Go for it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, September 11th to 13th is TACCOM Canada 2020. The Canadian Pro Gun Podcasters Network will be in attendance. You know, all your favorite podcasters will be on hand throughout the show, so make sure you stop by the booth, meet your favorites, and pick up some swag. Or drop by while we do our live broadcast, where we will be there talking to event organizers, guest speakers, and vendors about their all-new and must-have products. Uh, you can see details on the show at TACCOM Canada. That's with uh, two C's and then Canada.com. And stay tuned for ticket release date details. There'll be a whole bunch of podcasters all in one booth. We'll be uh, um, having a great time, I'm sure. And uh, it's, it's that's I, I'm looking forward to that. That's uh, I've already got that time booked off. It's, it's going to be great. So it depends on who you're listening to. We have uh, the guys from Gutting Around with Sean and John, Slamfire Radio, uh, New Shooter Canada, Straight Shooter Podcast, Silver Core Podcast, which is out west here. Us, of course, Canadian Patriot Podcast, and The Fog Life Buys from Newfoundland, which is uh, about their third episode right now. So there's going to be a fair amount of podcasters there. So if you listen to any of those, uh, yeah, you might see somebody you know. And, and you should uh, probably listen to all of those. Probably, you should. probably should, yeah. And uh, we've got a link on the website at uh, prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, if you use that link to buy your tickets, we get a little bit of a kickback. So we'd appreciate it if you use the link there, and then uh, you can help fund the show a little bit. Oh, I forgot to forward that link to the other guys. It's not until July. It's all good. Yeah. So, <laughs> or September, sorry. Anyway. Yeah, so that is uh, September 11th to 13th, and that, uh, um, that does take place in Toronto, but it's, uh, you know, if you're going to go to Toronto, that's probably the best reason to do it. It's right and near the airport, uh, which is good. Yeah, it's at the International Center, right? So it's uh, it's a good location. So not right downtown Toronto, so. Not right downtown. It's, you know, closer than we'd otherwise like, but it's it's about the only big place big enough. So yep. that's going to be a cool time. And uh, lots more on that in the uh, in the upcoming episodes because that's, that's going to be a big one. That's probably going to be our biggest event of the year. I think so. All right, let's move to some shout-outs. Uh, I'm going to shout-out my, uh, my wonderfully... Um, forgiving and patient family who's put up with me uh, doing nothing but studying and learning about nerdy crap for the last nine months and now I've uh, I've, I've put all my books away and get to change my focus a little bit so thank you to all of you you know who you are it's been a, it's been a slice I appreciate it I got a quick uh, shout out to Gotenda for the uh, the great prices and helping me stock up uh, on my ammo preps much appreciated couldn't turn down that offer Right on. I got a quick shout out to uh, Northern Elite Firearms out of uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. They gave me some pretty good personalized service and fast shipping on some reloading brass. Uh, even there's like a little bit of a mix up and they made it right right away. The great customer service. So a uh, good bunch of guys there. And uh, also interesting enough on Facebook, uh, South Frontenac Rental Center, SFRC. Anyways, uh, they've been doing a really good job at engaging their customer base. If you like their Facebook page right now, 
You get introduced to a draw for regular goodies, everything from quads to guns to tools. So you might want to head over to SFRC's Facebook page and uh, just like them on there. might uh, work out for you. SFRC's awesome. good people. Oh. Move in some uh, email and iTunes reviews. All right. So I got, uh, regarding the nuclear alert that just happened, we got a message from Lionel on Facebook. So uh, from Lionel, says, well, I can't confirm independently. I've heard reports that there was, in fact, an incident that achieved the threshold of an alert release. The issue was quickly remedied. However, the alert was already sent out, such as the official statement was, and uh, it was walked back, to, so to speak, in order to calm public fears. How accurate this is, I don't know, and whether an official investigation will reveal anything more than the official statement remains to be seen. You may recall there's an accidental dump of radioactive water from there a few years back, and the public wasn't made aware until three days later. So a situation like this is plausible. If it was human error and it was caught early on, then why did it take 40 minutes to get a retraction via Twitter and two hours for the EMS on our phones? A uh, controlled narrative may explain this. In any event, I was joking with some friends on uh, Instagram that 40 minutes, man, half the Ontario preppers were halfway to their bug out places, and 25% of those guys won't return because the radio is silence or they don't believe the government anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's pretty good. It's probably yep. accurate too. So, well, most people are upset, and rightfully so. I feel that uh, people are now are missing perhaps the most important lesson. What if it was true? So, this event did catch me a little off guard, and I was concerned by my instincts uh, when they told me that it was a false alarm. Uh, that said, I did wake up my wife and showed her the text. We decided to hold and evaluate, and I headed up to gas up both of our vehicles. Not a bad plan. By the time I got home, the Twitter statement came out. As a moderate prepper, I was disappointed that I wasn't as ready to initiate as I thought. That's where that DEFCON comes in. Uh, we have to remember that Chernobyl exploded within an hour of its failed training exercise and radioactive debris released over large areas within a short period. And that's from uh, that's from Lionel. But interestingly enough, too, with Chernobyl, they also spent, what, days saying everything's cool. Don't worry, guys. Yeah, yeah nothing to see here. Don't worry about it. So, uh, but that's typical, like, Soviet propaganda. They didn't want to admit defeat at that point. So they just, uh, they did a huge disservice to everybody just by playing down the effects for way too long. And I think he's got some really good points here as well. I've heard from a lot of people that it just kind of woke them up and made them realize that what they, their level of readiness they thought they were at, they, they've learned that they weren't exactly where they thought. So it's, it's been a good, uh, a good little head shake and okay, maybe you need to move some stuff around and get a little bit better than, uh, or a little bit more prepared than what I thought I was. Well, it's a bit of a black swan yeah. event compared to your typical power outage or you know, yeah. apocalypse or anything else that people are talking about. Not too many people talk about nuclear preparedness. Maybe we should talk yeah. about that later. Oh, hey. what a great idea! <laughs> Intense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where the only the only concern that I have with this is like the the reports from sources unnamed that an incident may have actually happened. There's a lot of variables there, and and I mean you can say that about absolutely everything. Um, there were reports from sources that Elvis is still alive, so. <laughs> I would take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, but take the good with the bad, and as, as inconvenient and unpleasant as that was. By the way, the emergency alert tone on your on my on our phones sounds a whole lot like my pager going off in the middle of the night, and I have a really hard time distinguishing the difference. Um, well, where would CNN be without anonymous sources? Come on. Yeah, well, exactly. So... Um, <laughs> So, I mean, but, you know, Lionel took the good with the bad here and realized that maybe he wasn't as prepared as he thought he was. So let's let's focus on that part. And what if this was a real event? What should you be ready to go for? And, I mean, let's go, like, how quickly can you go from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 1? And if you live that close to a nuclear power plant, should you maybe always be at DEFCON 4, DEFCON 3? Um, 
so that you can jump out really quickly, have that first mover advantage uh, while other people are still trying to figure out whether they should actually believe it or not. So um, I, I would say that's that's the big takeaway from this rather than the fact that something may may have actually happened, which, frankly, our government is not good enough at covering up the stuff that they need to cover up, let alone the stuff that they don't really need to cover. So yeah, that's maybe my rant for another podcast, but that's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't think we're good. I don't think our government is good enough at keeping secrets for there to have actually been a problem. Fair enough. So we got another uh, uh, we, message. Go ahead, Alex. We did get another message. We got one from Derek on Facebook Messenger, and he says, "Hey guys, just started listening to your podcast, and I think it's great. New to the prepping game and just starting out. Well, everybody's got to start somewhere. It's not just you, Derek. You've already taken the first step, and that's important." Derek says, I live in Nova Scotia and own a small hobby farm. What would be the best advice you could give for someone in my position? Where we live, we're on a well and septic system as well. And when we lose power, it's usually a two-day minimum event. Well, I mean, you've kind of answered your own question here. Like, What what do you need to do to live with a a two-day minimum event? I think this should become its own episode. Maybe we should get Derek on here. And, uh, and talk about it face-to-face. Uh, but, I mean, the best advice, of course, is going to be your uh, your priorities, right? We can go three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. I don't recommend being – I don't recommend pushing those limits as much as possible. So step one is stockpiling the stuff that you need to drink and eat. Um Air is not typically an issue. Shelter, right? What's good, what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, you're in Nova Scotia, so your 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 roof may get blown off, right? So look at your worst case, make it better. Um, my best advice is go back and listen to all the podcasts from you know about number seven, which is when I came on and it started getting really good. As you uh, say, don't listen to the first three or four; they're horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think number seven was my was my first episode, so start there and, and, and go forward. And everything beyond that will be absolutely fantastic. Um, but no, go back and listen to all of them. And and especially with this list, right, that DEFCON 5 to 1, like what do you need if you if you lose power for two days and that's an average, then triple it, right, six days. Like be, be, start with a week. Be prepared to be on your own for a week. And then how quickly can you get up to that level and then move on from there? So that would be, that would be I think, my realistic advice for that. I just want to mention, no, I mean, I'm in – Nova Scotia as well, um, and I'm on well and septic. Um, and the worst that's happened to me in the last 10 years of living here is losing power for any amount of time. So knowing that, um, I mean, if you get yourself a generator, at least one that can do 240, that you can power power your panel. If you can power your panel, you can power your pump. You've got water, you've got electricity, you can probably have heat. You're covering a lot of the basics there with having a generator and enough fuel on hand. Um, you know, once you have a generator and enough fuel to cover yourself for, let's say, a week, then it's time to buy a second gen- a generator because the prepper rule is that two is one and one is none, right? Um, and as these devices are going to fail you. Um, so as long as you have those basics covered, you should be good. And again, like Alan mentioned, um, you know, you've taken the right step. You're thinking about preparedness, uh, but to me, honestly, a, ge- a generator is is something that you're probably going to want, especially understanding that the worst that's really happened here is losing power, right? Up until now. Yeah, that's yeah. What I was thinking when I saw mention the fact that they're on a well system. Absolutely, that's the first thing I jumped to as well. Yep. Was find some way to power that pump, uh, yep. and then go from there. 
Well, generators don't have to run continuously either. You can just run it for you know a couple hours as required to like chop up your freezers, run your water pump, fill up the tubs and stuff. But even generators have issues. For example, this is the battery off my generator that currently uh, has died. So uh, it's uh, down to hand crank only. So the starter system is gone. But uh, hey, maintenance and is important too. Eric made a good point there that you know you don't like. I never run my generators overnight. Um, one because I don't want to drag the attention. Two, I don't need. So basically, with uh, with the with the well, you typically have a pressure pump um, or a pressure tank. I'm sorry. Um, so once I fill that, I've got enough for probably 30 or 40 liters of water without having to get the well pump to kick back in again, right? Um, and I mean, if you do lose power unexpectedly, you don't have any water storage. If you're gonna have something to power that pump. Then, as long as that generator is running and that pump is running, store water, get some water, fill your bathtub, uh, fill some plastic jars, and all that kind of stuff. Right? Do whatever you can because when you lose power again, if it's the generator that dies, you, you run out of fuel. At least you'll have that 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 water on hand. Right? Yep. But no, if you want if you want to come on, let us know, Derek, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. We love we love to have you talk about it. Talk about it in a in a um, a little bit more back and forth. Uh, we got another message on Facebook from Jake. I think that was Facebook still. Um, Jake says, just a piece of advice to whichever one of you picked up your picked up the Olight i3T EOS. I forget. Who was that? Was that Eric? That was me, yeah. That was you? Uh, he ordered a set of AAA lithium-ion cells. So 3.7 volts versus 1.5. Turns the 5 lumen setting into closer to 30 lumens at the high power setting, so 50% brighter. The luxury of lithium-ion is the power output, and your setting will diminish after 10 to 15 minutes of use. Uh, so make it comparable to some newer two, triple, two AA lights, so you're getting a fair bit more power for, in a smaller package. Uh, 30 bucks for five batteries and a charger off Amazon. Definitely worth it for a single cell light. Made my old Streamlight MicroStream 140 plus lumens over the 80 that it was. Um, so of course the, the flip side of that is that if you are putting more power than it was designed to take, then you're going to burn out your element faster and, um, you got to balance that. So maybe short term, not a bad idea. Longer term, I would be suspect as to whether it's going to, uh, it's going to be beneficial. Yeah, I'm gonna order it. But give it a whirl. Yeah, I mean, worst case, right. worst case, you gotta yeah. buy another one, and it's an excuse to go yeah. out and get a new toy. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll hop on Amazon and try that out. And you know, this this episode brought to you by Amazon, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and not their warehouse yeah. locations. Yeah. Just for the record. <laughs> yeah. But we finally changed it up from this episode brought to you from Canadian Tire. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta we gotta share yeah. the love somehow. Yeah, yeah it's true. Uh, so I've got uh, an email here that came in uh, to the feedback address at uh, feedbackpreperpodcast.ca. It's from uh, Middle of West. It says, uh, hey, guys, uh, greetings from a lady fan in the U.S. Uh, recently discovered your podcast, and I'm loving it uh, so much so, in fact, I felt inspired to share my uh, prepper journey. So uh, August 2nd, 2014, uh, began like any other uh, Saturday, but uh, quickly took on a whole new significance when I received a call from uh, family in Northwest Ohio. Uh, hours away from where I was living. 
Uh, prior to that morning, uh, preparedness wasn't something many people were talking about in our circle. And if they were, it was always with uh, a hearty dose of judgment. Uh, thanks, Doomsday Preppers. Yeah, hey, I love Doomsday Preppers. I, it's, it's great I absolutely love that. It's a great show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while we didn't uh, share in that cynicism, uh, we also hadn't embraced the importance of being prepared. Uh, yes, we had a generator. Yes, we had uh, tools in the garden, but that's pretty much where it stopped. In hindsight, our preparedness and priorities were way off. Uh, we had toys, but no plans. Welcome to the DEF CON episode. So, uh, when my phone rang that Saturday, uh, my relatives informed me that they had issued a water warning due to an algae bloom on Lake Erie. Uh, you can read more about it here and here. I'll make sure the links uh, stick in along with the uh, show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, we've, been, we've been through a boil water uh, advisory and warnings in the past. But uh, this one was different. Uh, this time, not only were you supposed to refrain from drinking the water, you weren't even supposed to touch the water. Uh, no showers, no teeth brushing, uh, no hand washing, no cooking, uh, no drinking, uh, no water, period. Uh, the toxins in the lake were enough to sicken and potentially kill humans and animals. Uh, boiling could actually increase the to uh, uh, toxicity uh, in the water. So that's, uh, that's not good. Uh, no, it's really so not. Lead also has the same effect. Yeah. If you boil, if you boil water that has lead in it, it becomes more leady. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, learned something new. Uh, so it continues on here with uh, the city attempted to calm the swell of panic by assuming or assuring residents they had things totally under control. Uh, they didn't, and we're working on setting up water distribution sites. Uh, but chaos broke out almost immediately. My family headed out to purchase water within an hour of the news hitting. Uh, that morning and uh, ended up having to drive over an hour away to find a store where water hadn't already been sold out. Uh, by late that afternoon, we had friends driving as far as three hours away to find water supplies and or rent a hotel room where they could uh, wait it out with access to safe water. There were reports of people trying to sell water bottles. They had stockpiled for $20 plus a bottle. Uh, there were lines everywhere. Uh, for everything, groceries, gas, uh, stores were easily ransacked, Flights, uh, fights broke out, water distribution sites, uh, first responders were overwhelmed with calls and chaos, forcing them to go into triage mode. Uh, from hundreds of miles away, watching this unfold through social media and through calls with uh, relatives was what I could only describe as a sense of uh, total helplessness. Uh, there was nothing I could do uh, to help my loved ones from afar. Uh, that was a feeling of something I never want to experience again. Uh, it was also a major wake-up call for all of us. Uh, once you've had a front-row seat to civil breakdown in a crisis, consider yourself woke. Uh, the water crisis removed any uh, hypotheticals or idealistic notions we may have had. Well, a crisis uh, might uh, or what a crisis might look like. Uh, it wasn't neat and it wasn't tidy. Uh, things went from a normal morning to bad in the blink of an eye. Uh, we were just uh, talking about a relatively small pocket of people in one little dot on the map. It's hard to imagine something like this uh, scale to a national or global level. Uh, our communities and government. This, this is why we. This is why we worry about uh, our food. Our food security. Absolutely. Uh, so our communities and governments may be uh, adept uh, at planning for scenarios on paper, uh, but crisis in practice was a different beast and a true test uh, revelation. Uh, as the saying goes, they may have a heart of gold, but so does a hard-boiled egg. Uh, I've never heard that before today, and uh, I love it. Me either. It's, I like it. Uh, what I learned through that experience convinced me that it was time to take prepping and planning into my own hands and continue working to help those around uh, do the same. 
whether that's a girls' night out uh, at the range or Costco gift cards and prepper gifts for Christmas, uh, every baby step forward makes uh, makes or makes feel like a step in the right direction. Having said all this, I want to thank you guys for helping educate people in a way that makes preparedness feel accessible and empowering rather than uh, say fatalistic and uh, hysterical. Uh, not only is your approach uh, helping break down the doomsday stereotype, uh, the conversations you're leading have uh, the power to help others embrace reality that uh, prepping our families and homes for the worst is ultimately one of the best ways we can love and care for each other. Uh, P.S. would love to hear stories from other listeners about what sparked their prepper journeys uh, if the opportunity ever arises. Keep up the great work in the meantime, and I'll keep up the listening. And then uh, P.P.S. hoard water, then go back to the store and hoard some more water. Well, you're not wrong on that point. Um, and yeah, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to share this. This is like, yeah. a phenomenal story. And just an, like an absolutely perfect... Um, an absolutely perfect illustration of what happens when there's a minor interruption in a major system. Now think about a major interruption in a major system, and that's that's what can really go wrong. Uh, just for the record, we are all doomsday stereotype people. We're just better at hiding it than most. <laughs> we take off. No, there's there's the not show. one of us that that doesn't kind of want there to be a zombie apocalypse just to see what's going on. <laughs> what really happens? Uh, <laughs> But I, again, thank you for the kind words. Like this is, um, you know, this is why we do what we do. You know, we're, yes. we don't, we're certainly not in this for the money. Um, we're certainly not in this for the fame. At least I'm not. Um, I don't know about Ian, but um, <laughs> you know, the, being able, being being able to share stories and and spark an actual conversation about making somebody's life safer is is what we all care about. So absolutely, um, awesome. Keep listening. Keep sending us. Keep sending us what you're doing. We love to hear it. I'm also hoping that when my teenage girls get through their teenage years and, and become humans again, they'll actually start watching the show and maybe get prepared. So, ah, there you go. <laughs> and if you're watching, girls, I love you. you know, it's, but <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not. Don't worry. They're not. I guarantee it. Yeah. <laughs> and if they are, you're wrong. If we did a live stream to Instagram, they might be watching. Uh, 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 yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But yeah, I appreciate that uh, that email and the the story. Uh, it definitely helps put some things in perspective, and it's uh, always nice to get uh, some feedback from people and, and know that uh, people are listening, and and we're starting to get stories, and and people are starting to share things with us to to get out to the listeners. So it's uh, it's encouraging for everybody on the panel to see that people are listening and they're willing to share their uh, their scenarios and their stories and what they've gone through, and uh, people are starting to kind of ask for some help and ask for some assistance. And that's uh, kind of the main thing. The main reason why this whole podcast was started up was to help everybody else out. So I uh, appreciate it. And if anybody else has a, has a story or, or has some information or wants to share some information in regards to how they got uh, started into this uh, uh, prepper world, um, please send it in the feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and we'll make sure to get it out and maybe it'll help somebody else. So with that, I'll bring uh, episode number 51 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, uh, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Uh, take a few minutes, submit a review. It helps other people find us. You can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca and Facebook. Uh, we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click on the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. 
You can, we can also be found on our Facebook page, the Canadian Prepper Podcast. Uh, if you want to reach me directly, you can do so on Instagram at PPSWO. And for myself, I can be reached at hfxprepper at gmail.com, and I've got my own YouTube channel as well. Just search hfxprepper. All right, you can reach uh, Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me occasionally on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube, where you can find us discussing more government waste, squirreling off on the firearms-related banter, which is, seems to be what we're focusing on lately with the latest uh, legislation, and exposing, why. Yeah, and exposing the daily loss of freedoms we're facing. Right. Please uh, check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can get me there on the live chat. Just added uh, Facebook Messenger uh, capabilities to it. So uh, you can get me there. And you can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So uh, thanks for joining us. And tune in for our next episode. We're going to be discussing uh, nuclear accident preparedness. It's almost like we had a little bit of a hint earlier in the show about that. Yeah, It's pronounced nuclear yeah so until next time uh be prepared stay safe and keep learning <laughs>